My dear church, would you, um, would you turn, if you haven't already, to Titus 2. Titus 2. We again are looking at verses 1 through 10. It's part 3. So there's certainly, if you've missed some Sundays, that's okay, you know. Uh, you can go back and, and catch up by listening to the messages online. I do a little bit of review each time. And I'm moving so slow, I don't make it that far in the text anyway. But, you know. Hopefully there's something you might want to go back and, and hear, because I don't cover everything. That's page 998 in that blue Bible, in case you're, you're using one of those. Those are located underneath the seats around you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, your word. We would be completely in the dark without it, and so I'm grateful for it. I just pray you do your work in us right now as we... We come under it. Father, help us to treat it rightly, appropriately. This is not just the word of man. This is not uh, suggestions or opinions or worldly philosophies. That is not what this is. This is your word. This is divine revelation. Help us to treat it, see it, and treat it that way. Because of what it is, we should give it our utmost attention. Help us not to sleep while your word is being read and expanded upon and explained that we might know how we are to live and to love you. Help us not to sleep. Help us not to check out, Father. Daydream. Help us, Father, right now to focus our minds on your revelation to us, found here in this letter called Titus. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Before we read that text, I want to give you, a, again, just a general overview, okay? So here it is, and I like I like doing multi-part sermons because it helps me to come back and sometimes I didn't say something as clear as maybe I wanted to say it, I can try to say it again, or maybe just even saying it another way, it might click with you. And so I, I enjoy doing these multi-parters. I don't know if you enjoy them, but I do, I do. And I hope, I hope they're helpful to you. I, 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 I strive, I strive, I don't always do it well, but I strive to, to make the text plain, to, to make, help you to understand it, to get it. Uh, because otherwise, what's the point, you know? What's the point? So, before we read it, I want to give you just a general overview, and then in light of that overview, we'll read it, and hopefully it'll, it'll hit you better. But the, uh, there's these fledgling congregations of Christians existing on the island of Crete at the, at the time, in the first century. So, in various towns, there's a collection of Christian people there gathered together, uh, they were in need of leadership. So that in part is why Paul is writing this letter to Titus. He left Titus behind on the island of Crete after visiting there to, to deal with these matters. And one of them is these fledgling congregations needed leadership, biblical leadership. So we've dealt with all that already. Titus was to appoint elders, and the qualifications are all laid out there for us in the book of Titus, also Timothy. In addition... There was false teaching, there were those professing to believe in God, but teaching things they ought not to teach. 
and they needed protection. The bodies there, the communities of believers, needed some protection from these false teachers, which is why they needed biblical leaders to care for them, watch over them. But also, he told Titus, I want them silent. So Titus was to set out and, and to correct that and to deal with that, that false teaching and those false teachers. And in addition to all that, these fledgling congregations of Christians needed further Christian instruction, further Christian instruction. So, as I said, Paul left Titus behind on the island in the Mediterranean to tend to those matters. In this section of the letter that we have arrived at, Titus is told by Paul to teach the believers what accords with sound doctrine. Those are the words there, what accords with sound doctrine. That is, in regard to their day-to-day behavior or conduct, uh, or to say it another way, Titus is to instruct them in their behavior that goes with or agrees with the gospel they have believed. That's what it means that he's to instruct them, um, the believers, in what accords with sound doctrine. And specifically, he's talking about their behavior or daily conduct. So you are to tell them, communicate to them, the kind of behavior that goes with those who believe the gospel, trust in the gospel, adhere to the gospel. This is the kind of behavior that's in agreement with the gospel message. Okay? As opposed to what the false teachers were potentially teaching and disrupting whole households, teaching things they shouldn't teach and were basically disqualified and not fit for any good work, according to Paul. Titus was not to do that, obviously, but he was to teach what accords with sound doctrine in regard to their daily conduct and behavior. Now, the way Paul addresses this matter is interesting. He he breaks the church up, in effect, into groups, into groups in addressing this matter. He first speaks about the behavior of the older men in the church, followed by the older women, the young women. And by the way, young women are not kids at home. Uh, They are, in this context at least, those married with children at home, generally speaking, young women. The older women would be those who may have been married at one time or still married, but they're older, the kids have grown. It's that type of thought. So he addresses the older men, then the older women, then the young women, then the young men. He includes the behavior of Titus. He speaks directly to Titus because Titus would be in that category of young men, okay? Not a teen, not a boy, but a young man, not an old man, older man. And lastly, he, he speaks to the behavior of bondservants, bondservants. So really, he's captured the entire church in, in all of these groups, and he's addressing the conduct of the congregation. But why? Why do it this way? Why not just say, you know, this is how you all should behave? Well, in light of the gospel, in light of, in agreement with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I've addressed this before, but I think I would explain it this way. He, he, he speaks first to the older men, and right after that, the older women. I would say it's because they would naturally be the examples 
to the rest of the body, or they are to be the examples. That would be the natural process in order of things, that the older men would model for the younger men, and for that matter, for the entire body, because the men would also be the natural leaders of any community or organization. At least that's how it ought to be, that the men would be the natural leaders, but certainly the older men, the natural leaders, and mentors, if you will, of to the younger men. And then the older women also were to be the models of what it looks like to be godly, that they might instruct and teach by way of example to the younger of the congregation. So I, he speaks first to them, older men, older women, because they would be the senior members, if you will, of the organization. Just think of any place you go, Generally speaking, if you go into like a new place of work, you, you look, you know, they tell you, okay, Bob's been doing it for a while. You look to Bob. He's the senior guy here, right? We use that type of terminology. The senior guy will show you newbie how it's done. We see that in every realm of life, right? So even within the family, right, the kids aren't hopefully looking to one another about how they're to grow up, but they're looking to those who are grown up to figure out how to grow up, right? How they're to grow up. And even within the sibling order, if you have an older sibling, you would, you, your, your mom and dad might, I was an only child, so I don't know this, and it explains probably a lot to you why I'm so messed up. I didn't have to share with anybody, you know what I'm saying? I, but I didn't have to look over anyone. I just had to pay attention to myself. Anyway, God's helped me through a lot of that. But siblings are a good thing. Listen, so siblings, you know, the older sibling would be told, look, you're the, they would give you this instruction. You, hey, right, Ella? Right, exactly, because she's my oldest. So you say, hey, you need to set a good example for your brothers and sisters, or, you know, right? You need to set the example. Okay, so it's the same. It's the same idea, I think, and that's why he addresses the older men and older women first. And additionally, there were some behavioral matters more specific to the other groups that, he, that Paul also addressed. So I've, I've called now the older men and older women to live in such a way that they will model what it looks like to live in light of the gospel, according to the gospel. But also, Titus, tell the younger women they, they need to know this specifically concerning their circumstances and the younger men. Something specific to their particular category that, they, that would be important about their conduct and then he closes out with, and also bond servants, which for the most part, most churches would be made up of, they would have a lot of bond servants. They wouldn't have masters per se, or the wealthy or rich. They were poor. Most of them were, most of early Christianity, they were poor. They were poor, and they would effectively be bond servants or working for another, indentured to another in some way. So, why all this talk about their behavior though? Okay, so, that, so that, that's the conduct of the congregation. And so Paul's concerned about the conduct of the congregation. And you see that that conduct is worked out in a group environment, right? Where the whole church is involved in helping one another uh, to, to grow into what they are to be, uh, conform to the image of Jesus Christ, right? So it's a, it's a group effort. You know, it's not just me by myself over here trying to figure out how to be what God wants me to be. No, it's within that church setting 
that God or that Paul gives these instructions. And so the older, the, the older men, the older women have this responsibility. The younger are supposed to live also and model Christ's likeness so that they would encourage one another. All of it. It's a group project. So we see the conduct of the congregation, but why? Why do you care so much about the conduct of the congregation, Paul? It is the reputation of the gospel. It's the reputation of the gospel. One writer says, Paul's primary concern was to indicate that the Christian's faith must result in a life that consistently, not perfectly, not perfectly, but consistently demonstrates behavior that is free of censure. What is that? Severe disapproval. Free of that and complementary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, it shouldn't be a life where the world looks at it and says, outsiders look at it, those who don't even have the gospel, and they go, oh my goodness, that is terrible. It shouldn't be that kind of life. In fact, over here, it should be the kind of life that brings praise to the gospel. It should be that kind of life because they're connected. A life born of the gospel, born out of the gospel, being directed and guided by the gospel. It should be a kind of life that people say, wow, that's beautiful, something unique, something special, something wonderful, something powerful about that gospel. I see it in the way that they live. You know, uh, any of you make diet resolutions at the beginning of the year? No? You did. Are you still doing it? Oh, good for you. Good for you. Well, I'm not going to ask you what, I don't know if you're on a particular diet or anything like that, but look, I'm just trying to help you understand, you know, another way of illustrating um, our responsibility to the gospel that we believe, that we say we believe, and that we're proclaiming, hopefully, making known, and that we're telling others they should believe, right? Okay? So it's like a diet. (laughs) Like, you know, if, if you're like, oh, man, I am so, this diet, it's unbelievable. I'm telling you, it's so powerful. I can't believe what it's doing. And if I'm over here and, and I look at you and I don't see really any um, proof of change, I'm trying to be careful. I don't see proof of change, then, you know, how excited am I going to be about, like, that diet? I probably think, wow, that, what I would probably say is, well, that diet doesn't work. <laughs> well, I'm not as faithful as I should be. Okay, all right, well, I don't know. But in the other, in the other way, in the other way, if I'm, I might even, I might even, I might ask you, I might see someone who's gone from this to this. Guys, I'm trying to be as, you know, as careful as I can, right? But you get what I'm saying. The person goes from this to this, they look different. And, um, and I say, Bob, whoa, what are you doing? He says, I'm on a such and such diet. What is, what does that do for that diet in my mind? Huh? Yeah, it validates it, it lifts it up. I say, wow. And especially if I'm thinking, you know what? I'm unhealthy. And the uh, doctor told me if I don't lose some weight, I'm going to be in trouble. I need a diet. 
I need a di- I need I need I need to go on a diet, right? You see what I'm saying? So it's not a perfect example, but in the same kind of way, we're telling people about the gospel. We're telling people, and maybe we're not even telling people, but the gospel rescues people from their brokenness. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to bring balance, real balance to their life, real peace, real joy, a real fix to our mess, real hope, right? So I'm over here. I don't, I don't need, you know, just like someone says, I don't need to diet, and they do, they do, right? The same person denying that they need it. It's like the gospel. You need the gospel. You need it. You might deny it, but you need it. You are spiritually unhealthy, unfit, and if you don't do something about it, you're going to be ruined. You are being ruined. The, more, the longer you stay away from it, you're being ruined. But then God works in them, and they come to that place, and they go, I am, I'm messed up, I need help. And they look around and go, where is it? And I look at the people I know, and I say, well, they're not messed up. Not like I am. They've, they've got structure in their life. They, they have hope. They're, listen, with all the chaos going on in our government, they're still pleasant, and they're still smiling, and they're still, what is that? Tell me, what are you on? And hopefully it's the gospel, right? <laughs> right? Hopefully it's the, right? it's the gospel, right? You know, not drugs or alcohol or something like that, but it's like, I, oh, I would, I would love to tell you about that, as opposed to the other guy who supposedly is on the gospel, if you will, taking it in, digesting it, believing it, trusting it, if you will, but he's more messed up than I am. What's that say about his gospel? You say it's powerful. Where? You say it restores marriages. Yours is a wreck. You see? So Paul, of course, as always, is concerned about the advancement of the gospel, about doing nothing to to detract from or to tear down the gospel. And, And yet, unfortunately, as Christians who believe that very gospel... If we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, if we're not intentional, we can, we can bring shame to the gospel. We can discredit it in the eyes of others. It's powerful. Show me how it's been powerful in your life. It, breaks, it broke the power of sin. Really? Because you, you, don't, you don't act like that. You act like everyone else I know who's who doesn't believe your gospel. You see what I'm saying? So we have a responsibility to live out that gospel because God has designed it so that it is beautiful. It is glorious. It is wonderful. It is powerful. I said before, I'll say it again, a couple's desire to have a good marriage is a good thing, but elevate it even higher. Christian couple, you should desire to have a marriage as God would have you have because it brings such glorious, uh, maybe let me say it another way, it adorns the gospel of God, as Titus says, it adorns it, 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 it shows off its beauty. Why do you have the marriage you have? <sighs> not me, it's not my wife, it's the gospel. Why do you have the hope that you have? 
Even though you're, you're dying of cancer, why do you have the hope that you have? Why are you so stable? It's not me. It's my Lord. It's the Lord that I have. So even if you're even even in the in the midst of a, a messed up marriage, you could you could demonstrate the beauty of the gospel because you're not falling apart, but you're growing even closer to your Lord and looking to Him and trusting in Him. And you see, so yeah, all of those things. Okay, here we go. I have more to say, and that's why I like, I can just skip stuff, and I'll come back and say it again, because, well, I will. I'll come back and explore more, but I think, you know, it's a matter of the affections as well, as far as whether we care or not about these things, right? Because I can tell you all day long, your conduct impacts what people think about the gospel. That's the bottom line, Okay. It, it impacts it, right? And our, our conduct is supposed to display the, the wonders of the gospel, the power of the gospel. That's what it should do, which is a life, a righteous life, a holy life, a life with less sin in it, a lot less, and less and less as you go. A life lived for God, a life of love, real love, biblical love is that life. But you you won't make the effort you need to make if, if, you don't, if there's a lack of affection for God because ultimately this is about God, what he desires, what he wants, what he wants you to do with your life. It's about his glory. It's about magnifying his gospel, right? Well, look, if I don't care that much about God, why would I care about such things? Why would I care about that? But if I care about God, if, I, if I'm loving him and growing more in love with him, then I care about what he cares about. And then I'm driven to care about my conduct. Because I don't want to bring any shame to my Lord. Because I love him. You see? So... Our affections are everything, which is why we have, to, we have to continue in the Lord and continue to grow in our affections and remove those things that would, would diminish our affections for our God. Because as our affections diminish, so will our desire to do the things that God would have us to do. And in this case, be very intentional and concerned about our conduct, our behavior, the way we're living our lives. Is it in line with the gospel or does it contradict the very gospel that we keep telling people to believe? and put their faith in and trust in. Titus 2. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled or discredited. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, the very thing young men have a hard time with, but for that matter, all people, but especially young men. Likewise, urge 
I said that. Younger men to be self-controlled. Must have had to have said it again, I guess. It's very important. That's why we did that. Show yourself in all respects. Now write to Titus. To be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, stealing from their masters, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And as I said, another way is to put that last phrase, which really you could uh, apply that to the entire section, so that they may show the beauty of the teaching of God our Savior or the gospel in everything. That's, that's what's at stake here. That's the issue. That's the concern. So, jumping in here. Okay, I'm going to say it because I was going to skip it, but I have to say it because sometimes you have thoughts and you, you express those thoughts to me and I'm trying to uh, anticipate Thoughts that might come to your mind always as we're moving through the passage. But I was thinking, you know, Jeremy, uh, we don't always behave as we ought, right? We don't, we don't always behave as we ought or in, according to the gospel, all right? Okay, yeah, uh, either do I. But that's way different than saying we don't behave as we should, period, <laughs> right? We don't always behave as we ought, okay? Yeah, welcome to the club, welcome to the club, but that's different than saying we don't behave as we should. You get what I'm saying? And I would add this, and although he doesn't, it's, it, it is included, it's not explicit, but it certainly could be included. He doesn't specifically talk about this, but the matter of forgiveness, that is asking for it. I was thinking of this, if I, sin, if I sin against you, so in all of these areas right here, if I'm not these things or I'm the things that I'm not supposed to be in my behavior, then ultimately that results in generally sin, not only first and foremost against God, but also against another human being, okay? So if I'm out of control, I'm likely, I'm likely going to sin against somebody, yeah? And when I do, and I will, at some point, because um, I'm not perfect in these things, and, and neither are you, and that's not what God has called us to, but he's called us to pursue them with a vengeance, to be serious about it. But when I sin against you, now what? Have a, has the gospel lost its beauty? Depends. It depends. If I will do exactly what the gospel has called me to do, and that is humbly and sincerely seek your forgiveness, then the beauty and the power of the gospel is still on display. You get me? So it's not like, oh my goodness, the expectation is I'm supposed to be these things 100% of the time. No, who can do that? Are you though these things a good percent of the time? or even a majority of the percent of the time, or are you looking to increase the percentage of time? And when you're not living up to these requirements, these obligations, and you fail, and you will, just like I do, 
Do you seek, humbly and sincerely seek the forgiveness of those you've hurt and thereby show again the power of the gospel? Huh? Back to the text. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We dealt only with sober-minded last time. That's what we did, sober-minded. You can leave the text uh, up, brother, for a little bit if you pop that back up. Sober-minded. Thank you, brother. I said another translation, and I think it's a better translation of what the word's really communicating. The Greek, underlying Greek word is temperate. Temperate. It's showing moderation or self-restraint. As I said last time, a temperate person avoids extravagance. Extravagance, what is that? That is lack of restraint in using one's resources. They also avoid overindulgence. What is overindulgence? It's having too much of something enjoyable. I talked about that last week. As one writer says, it's being free from all forms of excess or life-dominating patterns. That is what a temperate person is. This is the behavior that goes with the gospel. The gospel produces this behavior. It's in line with the, uh, the gospel. It, it's consistent with the gospel message. It goes with it. You have the gospel. This is the kind of behavior that should flow out of having the gospel, believing the gospel, trusting in the gospel, growing in the gospel. We'll move on, though, to the next one. Dignified. Dignified. You know, we won't move on. Look, the behavior that goes with the gospel, how does it go with the gospel? Because maybe you're thinking, I don't, I don't get it. The gospel stabilizes you. The gospel prioritizes your life appropriately. The gospel gives you meaning, real meaning to your life. The, the gospel gives you hope. The gospel gives you peace. Often... The reason people are giving themselves to extravagance and overindulgence is because they don't have any real peace, they don't have any real hope, they don't have any real plans for their life, not really, not the big ones that extend all the way into eternity. They're looking for a fix of some sort. Beyond that, they don't have the call of God upon their life who's called you to live in a particular way and live for others and for him. So they're reckless. The gospel does not, recklessness does not align with the gospel. That kind of behavior, that kind of, or even just overindulgence, overdoing it, going too far. What are you doing? Why would anybody do that? That's never, in the end, that's never a good thing, overindulgence. And, and so the one we think of immediately would be alcohol. Alcohol in and of itself, it's not a sin. I've said this before. In and of itself. And you can partake in moderation. And what do people do? Overindulge. Why? Why do they do that? I mean, if you do it once, maybe it's an accident. You didn't know any better. If you do it all the time, it's no longer an accident. 
And why do people do that? Well, there's lots of reasons, but just generally speaking, to drown out the pain, to forget. Well, why would I want to forget? I have God. I have the hope of the gospel. I don't need to forget. I need to know that even in the midst of my junk, the Lord doesn't let any of it go to waste, but he's using it to work out his purposes in my life. I know that this is a fleeting moment in my, in my long life, my eternal life with the Lord, a fleeting moment. And I say this, I mean my time on earth. I don't need to forget. I want to remember. I don't want to forget anything. I want to remember it all, and I want to remember my Lord in it. Pain? Yeah, it hurts. But I don't turn to this thing that's just going to make my life worse. I turn back to him. I turn back to the hope of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. You see what I'm saying? So overindulgence, extravagance, lack of restraint, they don't fit with the gospel or those, I should say, who are believing it and trusting in it and turning to it and looking to it on a daily basis. It doesn't fit. That's why this is behavior that goes with the gospel. Okay, you with me now? And that's kind of how you need to think through all of these. Dignified, dignified. Worthy of respect is the next item on the list. Worthy of respect. Remember, directed at the older men, they are to be the examples for the body as examples of showing them what it looks, showing the rest of the body what it looks like, which means we are to pursue these things as well. We're to learn from them, and they are to be this way. One writer says, it's revealing, this word dignified, it's revealing a personal dignity and seriousness of purpose that invite honor and respect. I like one commentator. He says this. He says this, dignified, the uh, underlying Greek word. It refers to this, and even that word, dignified. He is not to be frivolous. So you'll, you'll see some... Um, What's the word? I'm a carryover or some, as between the words, right? There's some, thank you, something. Wow, similarity. I can't even come up with a simple word like that. But my dear sister over here is helping me out. Thank you. Similarities. There's some similarities and there's some distinctions. Wow, I got that one. Whew. All right. Between the various characteristics, okay? But, but listen, listen. He is not to be frivolous, flippant, lacking in seriousness. Okay, you know frivolous, right? Uh, frivolous means not having any serious purpose or value. So we sometimes say that's a frivolous lawsuit. And what's that mean? That's a lawsuit of what is that about? That doesn't even make sense. That's ridiculous. I'm working on myself as well in the words I use up here. But yeah. One writer says the word does not carry the idea of haughtiness or high class but of somberness in its best sense. This is a word I like. It's not often used, but I like it. I just like the way it sounds. But I would say I, I would liken it to what is being communicated here, dignified. It's the word gravitas. I like that word. Uh, gravitas. Seriousness. Weightiness. Gravitas. Beloved, the dignified person, as uh, one pastor says, is not trivial or superficial, right? He goes on to say he doesn't laugh at immorality, vulgarity, or anything else that is sinful and ungodly. 
nor does he laugh at that which is tragic or at the expense of others. You know, uh, I am a serious dude. I am when it comes to this. Outside of this, I'm a good time. And, and not that seriousness isn't good, so I shouldn't have said that, but I'm fun. I am. I like to have fun. I am fun. <laughs> I ask my, you know, ask my wife, ask my family. We, have, huh? we, are, a fam- we are a family that laughs. We like to laugh. We, we like to have a good time, right? We enjoy the good gifts of God in, in this life that he's given to us and all, and all that's included in that. But there are some things we shouldn't enjoy or be laughing at, and there are times when you need to be serious. And when it comes to these matters and it comes to the gospel, nothing else could be more serious. We're talking eternity. We're talking the wrath of God. We're talking salvation in Christ. What could be more serious? You know, you can, you can, they say you can tell where someone is at spiritually. By, by, by seeing what they laugh at. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll tell you, I like comedy. I think if, if I could live another life, I would, I would like to try my hand at stand-up comedy. <laughs> but God has called me to much serious, more serious things. So I try it on my family, but I, I get my fill there. Um, But I've noticed over time, and it's a work of God in my life, I have noticed over time his grace and and just even knowing him more and seeing what, you know, hurts him and how much he hates him. But I uh, I used to, you know, laugh. And and maybe from time to time I may still make this mistake and do this, but I thought, you know, jokes about sin and sinful things, and I thought they were funny. Uh, and I would maybe even tell those kind of jokes, right? That's not a dignified man. Not, not in this sense, it's not. And now uh, they bother me. And it's not because I'm good, I'm not. It's just the work of God's grace in my life. He's, he's caused me to see things rightly. So... It doesn't mean you're a stick in the mud, but there is a seriousness, a gravitas about this person. And that's what we're to strive towards. And it's, it's produced out of the gospel, knowing God. Listen, you begin to meditate upon what it cost him, what it cost your Lord. When you begin to meditate on that, he went to the cross, not you know, just because he went to the cross for sin, your sin. Yeah? Suffered. There, for your sin, then it just causes you to start to see sin not as a joke, not as a quick laugh, not as trivial, but a very serious matter, and something that you are to have no part in any longer in any way, not practicing it, not endorsing it, not making it light. Dignified. Right? Self-controlled. That's the next item on the list there. 
Same Greek word is found in Titus 1.8. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow from my notes on Titus 1.8 when we went through that. It is better translated sensible. It is better translated sensible as it is in the NASB. Sensible. A sensible person acts in accordance with wisdom or prudence. That is, prudence is the idea that you have care and thought for the future or the consequence of an action. I would add that the sensible person is not governed by their fluctuating emotions or feelings. They're not driven by their emotions in any given setting or circumstance. But rather, they're driven by wisdom, biblical wisdom, and prudence, care for how their actions might impact others, impact themselves, impact the glory of God, impact the reputation of the gospel. That would all be included in this type of prudence, being sensible. They are not imprudent, okay? The sensible person is not imprudent. Am I saying that right? Imprudent. I I emphasize there, and I shouldn't have. Imprudent. I can't do it now. Anyway, you got it. I-M-P-R-U-D-E-N-T. They are not that. What's happening, Senior? Can you edit all that from the, the thing online? It's all part of it. It shows I'm a flawed man. That's good. See, I, okay. Imprudent. Oh, good. Came. Showing no care for the consequences of an action. They are not that. They are not thoughtless concerning their actions. The sensible person puts on the mental brakes, if you will, before acting. They are not guilty of impulsivity. Impulsivity, what is that? That is the tendency to act on a whim. Displaying, I looked this up, I'll read it to you. Displaying behavior characterized by little or no forethought. That is not sensible. Little or no forethought, reflection, or consideration of the consequences. Impulsive actions are typically, listen, poorly conceived, unduly risky, or inappropriate to the situation that often result in undesirable consequences, which imperil long-term goals and strategies for success. Yeah. It's the foolish life. It's life lived as a fool. It's life lived without any thought about what you're doing or how what you're doing will impact others or even the impact it'll have on yourself. It is a life lived in the moment, guided by your messed up heart and the feelings that come and go and up and down. Now look, it's not, it's not I want to say this, it's not being spontaneous. There's nothing wrong with being spontaneous. That's not the same as impulsivity. Spontaneous is, you know, uh, my baby and I were out, we're driving, and we were going to have dinner at home, but you know what? Why don't we have dinner out? Now, if, there's, if I'm a sensible man, I know I can be spontaneous like this because I have it in the budget to have dinner out. Does that make sense? Like, so that stuff's already been worked through. But there's spontaneity in it because we hadn't planned it. That's not what I'm talking about. There's nothing. It's a spontaneousness, I think, is, is good. In, it, it is. It can be fun and good, right? It's back to that fun thing, right? Because you'll hear like, you're never spontaneous. Okay, all right. 
Pastor said I'm not supposed to be spontaneous. No, I am not saying that. I am saying no impulsivity. You're not supposed to be guilty of being impulsive or not sensible or not caring, not thinking things through, not putting on the mental brakes before acting. And I would say putting on the mental brakes and and having your mind meditate on the word of God to guide you, direct you, and determine your behavior, your actions, your decisions. You gonna do something? Are you checking with God first? Are you considering what you're doing, how it'll have an impact on others? Or do you not even care? That's not sensible. Like, whatever. I'm just living, you know, living for the most. You know, I saw this couple. They have, uh, I had heard before, they went out onto the edge of Yosemite. They have a big, it's a couple. They travel around, they take pretty crazy shots, you know, of all the places that they are. And they fell uh, and died. 800 feet, they fell in Yosemite. That's the story I knew. I didn't know what happened, but they said, you know, when the rangers came and they found the uh, camera was set up, it was really out there close on the edge. So who knows, you know, did they trip? Did the wind come? They were, so a couple things. They're taking serious risk, right? I don't think that, not real sensible, not real sensible. Um, Because now they're dead. So think about the impact on their family. You know, those are young, in their 20s. Just sad, so tragic, you know? But then you come to find out, you know, they autopsied them and they were drunk. Are you kidding? I mean, that's an extreme example of, of not being sensible, not being prudent. That's an extreme. But there are many other examples of ruin you know, that we do over time on the installment plan to our lives, little by little, by not being sensible, not, not putting on the brakes, letting our hearts take us wherever we want. No, let the word of God take you wherever it wants. How about that? That's sensible. Let God take you. And that plays out not in, where do you want me to go today, God? No, it plays out in, how do you want me to respond to my wife, who's not being very kind to me right now? It it plays out there, right there. How should I deal with this child who apparently is deaf (laughs) at certain times? It it plays out right there. How, How should I respond to this brother at church who... Really hurt, really hurt me with what he said. That's it right there. Right? I go to him. Forget it, I'm out of here. That, see, that's impulsive. That's like, that's it, I'm done. No one talks to me like that. You know, like, how dare they? You know, that, what? And then you leave, you leave, and then you don't think about the consequences of your actions. And let me just say, I'll close with this because I have to because, you know, my time is up first, and there's some game on. But anyway, this behavior, this behavior goes with the gospel. Just in the simple fact that prudence, care and thought for the future and the consequences of my actions, right? I have a future, right? God wants me to focus on that. I'm, I'm, I'm to be building towards that future. I'm to be storing up treasures for heaven. Beyond that, 
my care and thought. I'm to care and think about how my actions impact others. Why? Because I am called to love others. You can't, you can't say that it is love to not care about how your actions impact others. You're not loving them if you don't care about that. You're not loving them. So then if you're loving them, you will care, which then will change your behavior necessarily. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for I, so the change you've done in, in this, this man's life, mine right here, I'm so grateful, and you, you have a lot more to do, and I, you know it, Lord, and I, I know it too, I know it too, and I'm, I'm so grateful, and I'm grateful for the change that you are working in, in us as well here and all that are here, but Father, help us to stay committed to that, that change, that transformation, and help us to be sensitive Goodness, great. We are sensitive to so many things we don't need to be sensitive to, but this thing we need to be sensitive to, our conduct, our behavior, what it says about the gospel. Are we, are we living in a way that, that is complementary to that gospel? Does it make people, will it cause people, according to your purposes, to stand back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm broken and you are, you are good and you are not broken like I am. There's something different about your life. What is that? Oh, my friend, it's the gospel. May, may that be us. Help us, Lord. You know, you have helped us. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. Father, I pray you just, you would convict us. You would bring such strong conviction to our hearts. And Father, as I said before, I think certainly a, a part of this is our affections. Maybe our affections are off. We have misplaced love. Father, do that work that only you can do, even right now, in our hearts. They are a wandering hearts, man. Oh, Father, call us back. May our love increase for you. And if it does, then then we will find in that all the motivation we need to pursue the word that we have read this morning with a vengeance. In Christ's name, amen.